Good morning, and how are you? What is this? We're early. <laughs> how can this possibly be that the four or five of us are got our stuff together this morning, and we are kicking off the show early? We have entered an alternate universe. Right? <laughs> so, in today's show, we will talk about everything that's hobby-related, and we'll hit the main topic of when is enough enough? How can you play your stuff if you got to keep buying more? So we'll be looking at that and everything in three, two, one. You are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. All right. Welcome one and all to the show. There's a new face here. Well, not new, but there's a new face. Happy to be back. Yeah. yeah. Dawn's joining us. She's going to provide a little bit of the nonsense world to the show. Yeah, oh, class. Keep class. Oh, there you go. Oh, class. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, today's theme sweatshirt is General Patton. Ish. Find me a private <laughs> to slap. Find me a private <laughs> to slap. I volunteer Chris's tribute. <laughs> <laughs> Very thoughtful. Yeah. So, joining Dawn and I is Marty. Morning, all. Chris. Hey, guys. And the man himself, Bariskany Jim. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And good morning to our As your geography may dictate. <laughs> and good morning to our audience, one and all, or afternoon or evening, as Jim say, wherever you are in the wonderful world, the blue marble that we live on. Today's show, we're going to talk about when is enough enough. I mean, and we'll get into it, but you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh-oh. Uh, hey. Tough years is already in the house. <laughs> right. So, as tradition, we talk about catch-up from the last show, what we've been doing in the world of gaming and hobbying, and done. Okay, so I have a couple of things. Not painting, not shocking to anyone. I know. I have gotten additional cards for my Disney Lorcana card game, as well as the most recent set for Magic, Murders in Karlov Manor. So I have been sorting through that stuff. But then kind of in a different vein, we have started kind of tinkering around in the game room here. You see the shelf behind us. So we've been doing some rearranging. So I've ordered some new shelves because getting to the point of the topic we're going to hit later today, we've already reached maximum capacity with the shelves that we have. And I, it's kind of looking like games threw up all over the place over there now. So I got two new shelves that need to be put together and we're going to kind of reorganize that gaming corner and kind of regain control of how everything looks over there. Yeah. Good morning, Dennis. Or afternoon, evening. <laughs> Let's just say good day, shall we? There I say go. good day, sir. <laughs> good day, Toyosa. Kansas, it should be 8, 12 in the morning, I think. Yeah. That's right. He lives in Kansas. Oh, he, he lives near my son. I was going to say, you got somebody in Kansas. I do. Yes. So, and, uh, also, or, yeah. or maybe that's a bill thing, but 
I saw some pictures of a painting. Hold show. on, man. That's my don't steal my thunder, man. Don't steal my thunder. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll, I, I'll shut up. <laughs> well, now that Marty's leaked it all over the Bill, place. Bill, what have you been doing? You posted it. <laughs> I know, right? Well, all it's right. not a secret anymore. I, 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 I will share a picture. Sharing a screen. Oh, let's see, Skype. Shared. Boom. Look yeah. at that. Look at that. I, I, I built. I, I, I did a thing. It, that looks like it should be like right out of like a catalog, doesn't it? Yeah, so I do now have this painting corner, the clear acrylic racks on the wall. That's all the pro acrylic line. I'm missing two sets, but of the signature series. But I have ordered them just to round out the complete collection. And on the work table itself is the wave one and wave two of two thin coats by Duncan Rhodes. Very nice. I got those from Sarissa Precision. They came fast from England. I think I had them within less than a week. So, wow. yeah. And, and they come uh, with the rack? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. you can order them with the rack. So, and, and they're really nice because each rack shows the colors in front. So you, you can organize it and keep it all well. And this is just a smaller folding table. And Don goes, it's not a big enough space. And I'm like, no, I did it on purpose because this makes me Focus on one thing, not overload the table and have no room to work. I call bullshit. Um, so I got my wet palette. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, man. As soon as you start doing it, you're just going to yeah. look like mine. I've got, I've got six feet of, of, of countertop here, and I have two inches that are not covered. Shut up, yeah, man. I, mean. <laughs> so I got my wet palette. I got my work surface. I got my water paintbrush cleaner. I got my paint shaker. And if you notice in the lower left corner... You'll see a whole bunch of dudes on sticks. I know it's kind of hard in this little picture, but that's the Waterloo box. I have completely assembled everybody. It'll get primed today if I get a little bit of a dry spell, but it, it'll be ready to go for painting. So Waterloo is fully assembled. How um, much assembly is that? I don't know. It's several days. I mean, what I did is I took one unit. So like the British infantry, I took all the sprues of British infantry. I clipped them all and just did an assembly line. Did those last night. It took me what, maybe two hours, a couple hours for each, you know, assembly. So, so I will prime them, zenithal them, and then start painting them up. Okay. No, the only reason I was asking is I've got the um, Civil War set and, you know, they're already all together. Oh, yeah. But those are epic scale. These are 28 millimeter scale. Oh, okay. So those had to be assembled. So that is that. I also purchased, and I will do a video on it, an airbrush. Nothing fancy. It's one of those portable airbrushes with the little portable compressors. And damn it, the thing don't work good. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, a... Oh, I can't remember the name of the model. Like a compressed can that attaches to the... No, it's an actual... It looks like a brick, and it's an actual compressor. Yeah. Self-contained compressor. It does about 30 PSI. And it's not loud. I was amazed. Yeah. And uh, uh, I saw I, I saw a, re a review video on it, and surprisingly not shitty. Yeah, uh, you know mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, this is cheap, and it you know it's not you know it doesn't have all the things. It's not going to be any good. I mean, I don't know if I'm painting my my golden demon stuff with it, but for the average you know painter, looks like it gets the job done. And I bought the one with the actual air hose connection to it, so I can actually adapt other good airbrushes to it and use those nice mm -hmm. so yeah 
does it come with any kind of water? Tra- well, I guess we'll see in the video. Any kind of water trap or? No, it doesn't have condense, a condensation trap. I mean, you could add one because I have the hoses for it, so I could do a whole setup. It's mostly designed for simple stuff, you know, portable, because it's battery operated. It has a rechargeable battery to it. So you could literally take it to like Adepticon and do some painting at a booth, you know, if you didn't have power. And, you know, it's it's mostly like priming and block painting, you know, it, you know, with the airbrush that came with it. The airbrush that came with it is not a bad airbrush. It, it It's not a, you know harder than Steinbeck by any means, but it, it's not bad. So, yeah. So, let me see. What else? Tuffy Years wants to know if it's a uh, GW Flamer spray gun. No, it's not a Flamer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dennis bought one, too. He says it's. he agrees it's better than expected. I mean, I think I paid 70 bucks for mine because it came with accessories. And for $70, that's the price of a least expensive airbrush. Just the airbrush just body. Yeah, just yeah. the airbrush. Yeah. 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 The compressor, which is at least another hundred after that. Yeah. yeah. So, Normally. you know, I'm so far, I'm happy with it. We'll see when I do a video on it and actually use to paint some things. But so far, not bad. I guess I need to buy a tank so I can airbrush a tank gotcha. or something, you know. Yeah. Something big and small. Big and small. Uh, other than that, I'm just waiting on some paintbrushes to come in. <laughs> you know. Those artist opus sets, Don doesn't know about it yet. <laughs> oh, oh, what? By- Byron's proud of his brushes. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're they're good brushes. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, there, oh, there's a, know. there's there's a reason why I have the army painter dry brush set <laughs> <laughs> and not artist opus. <laughs> oh yeah, Dad. What would uh, what would uh, Dana do to you? You paid what for brushes? That's, I don't care if it comes in a stupid little box. <laughs> and then some idiot sent me a thing for the Alamo. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking at that this weekend. <laughs> but we'll see. What's everybody else been up to? Well, let's go to John. Jim. Did I say John? Dollar I store brushes did. for the win. Right, Tuffy? <laughs> Jim, hit us. Well, now that apparently people don't know my name. Um, <laughs> you I'm work- sorry. I work with four Johns. I'm sorry. I say John all day. None of them say God history on them. That's true. It's, that's all right, Bob. No worries. <laughs> None of them has got their name in the window either. <laughs> all right. It's actually been pretty busy. Number one, I don't know what the hell it was. If it was variant number 97 of covid something got into my chest got into my throat and it's been whipping my ass up one side of the street and down the other mm-hmm. for about two or three weeks finally getting clear of it a little bit so it slowed me down a little nevertheless even through that we have been hitting the 80th anniversary we are squarely on the anniversary the 80th anniversary of the battle of anzio or at least it's beginning so we did some panzer leader i put out invite to Discord, to all my Panzer Leader people, uh, including you, Bill. And I was like, hey, you know, we, we got, we're going to run some, some Anzio stuff. We have stuff for the British and for the Americans. Damon was the first person to reply, so we started off with the British. And, uh, you know, part one is up on our YouTube channel. So we built that game, drew that map, made those counters, and went ahead and featured that game. Part one is already up. It's been up for about a week. It's doing pretty well, about 400 views. 
Part two is going up either later tonight or early tomorrow morning. Again, depending on where you are in the world. And yeah, so far it's it's uh, it's doing pretty well. The game, if you've checked out the link so far, it's uh, I'm I'm kind of getting my ass handed to me a little bit. Won't lie. I'm playing the Germans. Our friend uh, Damon Bretnall is uh, playing the British. But yeah, he hasn't won yet. And because of some moves that I made earlier on in the game, the burden of victory is definitely on him. He's got a long road to hoe. Literally, he has to open up this this rail line and this road to try and hold open an escape path for some other retreating German units. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, some other retreating British units. And yeah, all the details are in the video, so I won't you know belabor the point here. But it's 1st London Scots and 46th Royal Tank Regiment up against some other German units mixed in there as well, but predominantly Panzer Battalion 103, 3rd Panzer Grenadier Division. Part 1 went up exactly on the 80th anniversary for February 1944. And again, later on tonight or early tomorrow, we'll do we'll feature Part 2. And yeah, for those familiar, or I should say for those unfamiliar, Anzio starts technically 22 January. If you've ever seen the Robert Mitchell movie, which is not accurate at all, to be honest, <laughs> but if you've ever seen the Robert Mitchell movie, or if you're familiar with the Battle of Anzio, yeah, the Americans and British go ashore on 22nd January, and they just kind of sit there for nine days. Mm. So they don't even really get moving till January 31st, I think it is. And when they finally do get moving, by now the Germans have absolutely ringed them in all these reinforcements. So long story short, take your first shot. Here you go. We are going to be doing Anzio for quite a while because the Battle of Anzio drags on. Some people say June. Most people usually say like May 30th, but well into summer. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. When you, you know, land a surprise landing in, in the enemy's flank, that's the whole point of Anzio. So the Americans and the British, American American 5th Army, Mark Clark, uh, the British 8th Army, no longer under Montgomery, but the British 8th and the American 5th under Alexander's, I think it was at that time, 15th Army. They've done their Salerno landings. We did our 80th anniversary material on that back in September of last year. And, you know, they've done the main Italy landings and they start advancing up the boot. They run into the Gustav line anchored at places like Monte Cassino. And there's another name that everybody's heard at least once because that was an absolute, you know, mm-hmm. you know it, was, it might as well be in World War One at that point. It was an absolute shit show where nobody was moving anywhere. So the plan was, let's get a couple divisions. They were put together under U.S. 6th Corps, under General John Lucas, and let's throw them around the side of the Germans and land them on the west coast of Italy, just south of Rome, a place called Anzio. And now with, you know, four or five Allied divisions, I think two or three uh, American and two British divisions, now behind the main German line, we have, you know, the idea was, okay, we'll kind of crowbar the Gustav line out of position. We'll break things loose. We'll move through Monte Cassino, up those valleys, up the Italian boot, and we'll open up the road to Rome. Fortunately, he you know, took nine days to consolidate his bridge, and he moved in three miles. I mean, can you imagine that at any other landing? Can you imagine that at D-Day uh, later on? You, you land, and you just literally sit there on the sand, basically, for nine days. The initial landings were unopposed and did surprise the Germans, but when you give guys like uh, Benninghoff and Kesselring, you know, these are pretty solid German commanders. They, they, these, these, these weren't the dummies. When you give them nine days to react to your operational movement, yeah, before you know it, you're surrounded by 100,000 Germans, two armored divisions, Panzer Grenadier Division, a bunch of infantry divisions. Yeah, you're going nowhere. Yeah. And that was what wound up taking so long. At the end of the day, I mean, 
anyone who, you know, who's, who's read this material. But, but Anzio was supposed to break things loose for the main Adelaide line. It turned out to be kind of the opposite by the end. It got it, it turned into such a a failure, basically. It's still kind of a sore spot in American military history to this day. A lot of people like to throw blame around and, and so on and so forth. If you watch the, say, like, like the Robert Mitchell movie, they changed the name of all the generals. All the generals have fake names, including Mark Clark. It doesn't appear in it. It's some other name they made up. James Lucas doesn't appear. He's a, he, he appears in the show, but they change all his names. Otherwise, the army wouldn't cooperate with the with the studio. Oh, interesting. It's it's. I mean, this is back in '69, but when they made this movie. But yeah, it's it's not exactly our finest hour. And yeah, it wound up being that the main Allied line had to rescue uh, the NCO beachhead instead of the other way around. Oh wow! But anyway. That's what that that's the big 80th anniversary thing that's going to be kind of you know chewing through. We're also going to be doing actually we already have it played and recorded, but we're going to be doing some Tarawa stuff. That's going to be very late. We might be doing some Gilbert stuff. That's February of '44, so right about now would be the 80th anniversary of that. And yeah, building up toward D-Day, which of course is coming up in June. It's going to be the 80th anniversary of the D-Day, of course, Overlord, Normandy, and all that. But um. Yeah, that's pretty much what we've been working on down here at the Sit Rep South. Nice. You know what? I wonder, could we do D-Day Beach Omaha in 6 mil? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look at that. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough board to build. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> the the, the, uh, the uh, terrain is very tough. Many people choose not to do it just for the terrain. Yeah. It's not just a beach. It's a beach and bluffs, and you have to get the draws right. Yeah. Then the Wiedersteyn Esther bunkers have to be built a certain way into the bluff. So interesting. I've done it. Challenge to you, Marie. It's I I can send you. I'm not doing it. I can send you the the materials. But that's very cool. It's busy year. Busy year. Excellent, Jim. Nice work, Christopher. Yeah. Well, uh, Marty and I assisted good friend of ours at. Holy Wars. Wait, it was Holy Wars already? Yeah. Yeah. Last weekend. Did you get coverage? Got some picks. Go ahead. No, we were working. We were mostly. Go ahead. Hearing heavy shit. Um, but no, it was it was good. I learned a lot. And uh, my good luck helped out Marty. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if it was really my good luck. It's mine. Sounds like Marty's good luck. Did you I win mean, something in the raffle? So yeah. I yeah, so I bought eighty dollars worth of raffle tickets and got zero, nothing. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, my <laughs> I spent the same amount. I got. He's got a, yeah, he's got a golden horseshoe up his ass. This guy's called every three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Not when it mattered though, because all the stuff that I wanted was gone. So I walk up there and like. Well, Marty needs an army, so I picked up the big army pack. Yeah, wow. I got the minion box. Nice. Very cool. And then that- he got, he had gone, I gave you a ticket to go up there, and you completely glossed over one of your units that you wanted. They moved so everything I- around. I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. Was, Vince was putting the pressure on me, man. Get get your yeah. stuff. Go. So his, his Maria won a ticket. For My him. daughter. So, yeah. So he had five trips up to the table. Wow. Yeah. Nothing. Very cool. And that Dominion box, Marty, yeah, pretty, pretty good. It's got a bunch of stuff in it. That's for 
still working on assembling. Very good. All right. Marty. Well, as Chris said, we hung out with our good friend Steve Herner last weekend at uh, at Holy Wars. A good time mm-hmm. was had by all. I got a, a bunch of... Uh, so for those that don't know, Holy Wars is uh, an Age of Sigmar narrative tournament. Uh, it's not your average competitive type of deal. Steve has now, I think we're at 20 tables total that have been built and they're all custom-made tables. All the tables have special rules. So it, it's a, a pretty fun event. It's not your average, you know, this isn't competitive match play at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does such and, a great job. And, and there, nobody shows up with a three-color army to this thing. There, every, everybody go, goes try hard on their stuff. Obviously, some people are at different levels than others, but everybody shows up with, with a fully painted army that, that looks good. Yeah. So, so it's a lot of fun to to see that stuff. Uh, as Chris uh, also said, I kind of cleaned up, even though I didn't actually win anything at the raffle. So I got a Dominion box. I got a couple of boxes of dudes. I got some individual characters. You know, all AOS uh, stuff because the uh, the players all bring something and contribute it to the raffle prize. So it's not like prize support straight from GW kind of thing. It's the players are bringing this, and I mean these are. They're all unopened boxes. You know, some might be older than others, whatever. But they bring that. And then all the raffle proceeds, well, all the proceeds from the entire event go to Hesed House, which is a, a local homeless shelter and social service organization here. So I think we uh, came in just over $5,000 raised for Hesed House. Nice. That's very nice. cool. Yeah. yeah. Very so, good. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty excited about games that. Vince, uh... Yeah, Warhammer Weekly plays. So Vince and Tom were there. You know, gotta gotta love that. Matter of fact, Vince Vincerella is the one that calls out the raffle. Oh, and he was there, huh? He was. Yeah. yeah, he goes to all of them. Okay. Uh, yeah, he goes to Holy Wars, Holy Havoc. He he loves it. Matter of fact, if you look at this week's Warhammer Weekly, uh, he was talking it up and had some very nice things to say about both Steve, the tournament, and kind of leaned into his topic of of the week as far as like alternate victory conditions and being able to play multiplayer because it's a doubles tournament. So mm-hmm. you know, you're playing a 2000 point army, but you got a thousand points, your buddy's got a thousand points, and then you're playing against two dudes that have 2000 point armies as well. Very good. Mm-hmm. We, uh, Marty and I were also involved in the painting competition the- for judging. Mm-hmm. Not, not, yeah. Didn't submit anything. We, mm-hmm. Woo. Let me tell you, mm-hmm. that gets heated. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring your bring your A game if you're going to that. Uh judge on that as well? No, Vince had a submission in it. Oh shit. Judge. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And he did uh he went deep into that competition, we'll say. Oh, I bet he I, did. I, I could I could say that much. I can't uh you know can't disclose what all uh what all happened in the in the judging room, but yeah. He's one of the reasons why I went with pro curls, just you know, just so you know. Yeah, but yeah, good stuff. Yep. Good stuff. So uh, actually, hobby related type of stuff that I've done. So I continue to work on my my in country guys. So mm-hmm. work work in progress. I'm trying to trying to work out a desert scheme. I don't know if you can see that guy. I'm not sure. I'm happy with that. But I've got I don't know. I'm gonna eight of those dudes uh, on the table that I'm working on. I decided I needed some new brushes, so I can't afford, you know, 
artist opus brushes. So I got Da Vinci Kalinsky sable brushes. Hey, there you go. You know what? More affordable and <clears throat> to get the job done. I'm liking them so far. A brush is a tool. A tool is only as good as the person who uses it. Yes, there are crappy tools, but you know, it, it's yeah, fine. Well, Some people like, you know, like the Dollar General's yeah. brushes. They use them till they wear out, and then they buy another set. And and I have some of those. The, you know, the 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 thing that I was going for is I need a brush that holds a tip. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that's where you your dollar store brushes aren't so good at that. You know, yeah. you can base coat and, and do a lot of stuff with them, but if you're trying to do some fine detail painting, you, you need something that has a fine point. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you need a microscopic brush. It means you need a brush that has a good point. Yeah. You know, because like a lot of my most detailed painting is done with rather large brushes. Right. So yeah, exactly. it's it's the, it's the quality of the brush and then how how you use it and how you maintain it. Like my bad habit yep. is I always sink the brush way too far into the paint. So the base of so it gets the in the barrel gets get yep. gunked. And yeah. once it's in there, you're never getting it out. And that's where your bristles start to and then, spread. Yeah, it's gonna say you yeah. blows up and so not, I, I use dry brush. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I, I have I literally have two jars. And yep. and I use I do I do buy expensive brushes and people do give me expensive brushes. But where I, my, my, my cheapskate is to paint. I, I all my stuff's done with like apple barrel crap from the craft store except for some of the washes and then yeah probably like you yeah i start off with my nice you know four out brushes you know the, the special you know horsehair brushes that are you know hold the perfect point and then once they get to a certain point they get downgraded to the other little jar and that's yep. like your terrain brushes your your dry brush and then when that goes it goes to the third can which is in the kitchen clunk yeah. you know <laughs> goodbye see you in the yep. landfill I mean, if nothing else, you know, I can always, you know, use it to mix paint in my airbrush cup or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, you know, or it becomes uh, like some sort of weathering, you know, crazy, uh, you know, if I'm putting, uh, I don't know, like train effects on there, like, you know, mud or modeling compound or something like that. And I need a brush to push it around on a piece <laughs> or something. That's what I do. <laughs> Marty, you want to take uh, credit for Dennis's qu- problem? You're welcome, sir. Uh, <laughs> by the way, warehouse still, sale still going on. Dennis, fifty percent off. This is this is what Marty does, <laughs> by the way. No, oh, I mean, got got my NXS dudes right here. That's 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 the base coat for my desert uh, mm-hmm. stuff. That this guy hasn't hasn't been painted yet because I've got three different patterns going, and I think actually, since we're doing this, I think this is the pattern I'm going to try to go with. I know you can't see that super well, but think that's how i'm gonna do all right but took me, while, cool. took, took me three dudes to figure out that uh that pattern that i that i thought looked looked right and then mm-hmm. that's all that is it's just the pattern on his uniform i haven't painted anything else on him yet so like i said work in progress uh okay. more, to, more to follow all right and then well, uh but so i won the the dominion box i've been mm-hmm. putting i've also been putting that together GW has really nice models, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. But those fiddly little sons of good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man. Wait until you put a Malifaux box together. Who puts a seam down the middle of a cape? <laughs> ah. Yeah, so, yeah, I've, I've not been not been a fan of some of them. But yeah. uh, if you're familiar with AOS, I've been assembling the Stormcast Eternal side of that box. And I've got. Almost all of it done. I think I have two more dudes to do, and then uh, that'll that'll be done. Very cool. 
All right, Marty. I think it's that time. Says you. <laughs> Listen up, people. It is time for the news with Marty. What in the wide, wider world wargaming is going on? Let's in on the scuttlebutt. Bring on the awesomeness that is wargaming. Yes. Okay, hold on. Let me get let me get my news up. Here we go. All right. So first things first. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned World War One earlier, Jim, although we were talking about Anzio. For those of you that might be familiar with our good friends over at Firelock Games. They have a World War One game, and it's yep. called Blood, Blood and Valor. So, Blood and Valor End of Games is an expansion book for Blood and Valor, or End of Empires, excuse me, I'm saying games. <laughs> Blood, the End of Empires is an expansion book for Blood and Valor. You still have to have the, the core book for it. So, the expansion book has been out for a while. However, if you go into their download section, they've, they've put out some free pdfs to support it so they've got some new army lists so if you want to play russian imperial army or japanese imperial army they've got some new leaders and whatnot in there uh so and it's like i said it's a free download so that's your jam you know what is that 1905 ish right at the turn of the century you know there's a, there's some rules so you can get your your little uh, imperial army action going whether you're uh, a Rusky or on the Japanese side. There you go. Uh-huh. So wait a minute. So that's not actually World War One. Are you talking uh, it is, Rush, Japo, it, Russian Russo Japanese War, nineteen oh four oh five? The the rule set is the core rule set is World War One. Yeah, this, I, I, is, this is an expansion, so you can play mm-hmm. other other wars as well. Russo-Japanese so, or other conflicts. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That, that's yeah, it. I, uh, I, I, I demoed Blood and Valor with the Firelock team at Historicon. So I only really got to play it once. But I'll tell you this. It's got one. I still say that the Blood and Valor has got one of the most innovative initiative systems I've ever seen. And I've been oh, working yeah? since the mid-80s. It's got. I mean, the rest of the game is kind of like a lot of 20 millimeter war games, you know, skirmish kind of war games. But the way that game handles initiative is uh, it's actually pretty interesting. Well, I'm sure that uh, <laughs> Rufus appreciates that. I know that they put a lot of work into it. Very cool. And man, playing Russians and well, 1905 is bad enough, but 1905 or World War One. You think they're bad in World War II? You think they're bad in Ukraine? If you're playing them in, under Tsar Nicholas II, you, you're a glutton for punishment, man. Because damn, <laughs> that, 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 that's got to be one of the worst armies I've ever seen. Well, you know, can't, we 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 can't all be Napoleon in his heyday. I don't know to tell you. Huh. All right, what's next, sir? All right, so moving on, we're gonna go from you know the. Uh, early 1900s to a little earlier than that with dead man's hand rideau so they are they've updated and are re-releasing dead man's hand if you're familiar with that game Mm. so it was a kickstarter and it's being fulfilled not well it'll probably be shipped in april it looks like or march april time frame so you can't get it unless you were kickstarter backer right now Uh however as soon as that's fulfilled, it will all become available retail and online sales. Gotcha. So, so they got an uh, updated deck. They got new back factions. They've got new scenes. They've expanded their rules and have a campaign system in it. So, 
They've also been cranking out uh, new miniatures. So they've got rangers and families and pioneers and a bunch of other things. They've got plastic terraining. So lots of lots of good stuff going on there. If you're into the Western genre, this is a, this is one to consider. Very nice. That looks good. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I thought the... I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. I kind of stumbled across that on accident, looking at something else, and I'm like, "Whoa, hang oh. on now! <laughs> wait, a wait a minute!" Warlord Games. You know, speaking of when is enough enough? Warlord Games. <laughs> has, Holy has moly! A, has a bunch of crap out for pre-order. Yeah. Uh, specifically, what I what I wanted to talk about was if you're looking for 28 millimeter. 28 mil, yeah, American Civil War miniature. Wow. Then check out their pre-order. I think I talked about this like a month ago, but they they fleshed out their line a little bit. So you've got your choice of infantry, brigades advancing or firing, or single regiments advancing mm-hmm. or firing, and a bunch of artillery. One of the one of the kind of innovative things I think they've done with this though is all of these sets are designed to be either the north or the south depending on how you build them out and how you paint them. You know, so if you, you know, pick your blue or gray here, but you don't have to buy separate sets to have, you know, to flesh out your infantry, you mm-hmm. put the Confederate flag on there, you do some other detailing and, the, and there, you know, you've got the South, you know, you want you, you want them to be North again, di- different flag, paint them blue. You, you've got your union forces. There you go. That's pretty cool. Uh, Flexibility. I need yeah, some I'd, different some different heads on the sprues or something like that because the headgear is a little different. Excuse me. In some of the armies. Yeah, I don't know that they get that historically accurate. <laughs> hey, Bill, you don't have those yet, do you? Shh, no, Chris. <laughs> hey, I'm not the enabler. That's Marty. <laughs> I, hey, I'm, I'm doing the news. I do this for the people. <laughs> Generally, the yeah. They're a lot of the same stuff, but some of the some of the equipment, like the Union yeah. bedroll, is usually different. Yeah, a lot of the regiments and brigades are wearing the same capos, but of course, the uh, the, uh, the Confederate regiments tend to wear you know different kind of hats. So yeah, I mean, I guess you could do it if you if you changed, especially in twenty eight mil. At six mil, you can easily get away with it, but at twenty eight mm-hmm. mil, yeah, some you of can the weapons are different. different. Yeah, yeah, some of the weapons are going to be different, but yeah, I'm sure it's close enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll get dudes on the table so you can, you know, go fight yeah. your battles for sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. change one or two things and you could probably pull it off. Is, is yeah, I, I was going to say, I think you could, uh, you know, as long as, you know, we don't get too rivet countery, we'd be all right. We'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, what's and, next, sir? And if your jam is, you know, historical detail, th- those models exist. It's just not the, the line that Warlord's pushing here. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Next up, our good friends over at Spectre Miniatures. So the, these guys have been on a roll. You remember back in our first show of the year, uh, I was talking about the, their plan for the year, and they they are sticking to it. You know, so they have launched their upgraded versions of their favorite tier one operatives and mm-hmm. added hostage figures to it. So you can flesh out your scenarios there. You can use your hostages as objectives. You know. There's some pretty good looking miniatures they got there. You know, they also, as you can see, they've redone their website. So I like their, I like their new website. 
you know, I think it's definitely more visually appealing than the way the old one was set up. So kudos to uh, Steve and Jess and everyone else that's over there uh, working on it. Mm -hmm. And let's see here. What else? They are also getting into STL printing. You know, they've been doing that a little bit. So if you are, if you own a 3D printer, you can get some STLs from them as well. Yeah. So, and for those that ask, because uh, every now and then we get this in the U.S., the distributor for their rule set is Black Sight Studios. So, if you want the rules specifically, look at look at Black Sight Studios as well. If you're here in the U.S., so that way you don't have to, you know, pay for and wait for the shipping from the U.K. Exactly. Hey Billy, there's a finger on this page that you might have to do for uh, Moody. What's that? Yeah. Can't hear Scroll you. Down. Scroll down. There's a figure for Cody. Oh, the EOD, oh, the EOD guy. guy? Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Yep. yep. And that is my news. So I have more. Mm-hmm. I was going to say now, <laughs> jump, jump in and let us have it. All right. To expand our audience a little bit, uh, we've included some non-ish historical stuff. The first thing that comes up is found on GameFound, which is another crowdfunding source. And that is Song of Ice and Fire Tactics. I know nothing about this, Don. What do you know? Just what I have looked at so far. So they are taking the Song of Ice and Fire IP Uh and bringing it down to, you know, that's that's a rank and file, you know, larger battle game. And now we're bringing it down to skirmish level with this. I haven't watched the playthrough videos yet. I have to say this one has my attention. How could that dragon not get your attention? Right. It's, it's pretty awesome. And that dragon is, of course, only part of the Kickstarter. Did you so back this? Not yet, but I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear. Well, to, to be fair, and I don't know that you pulled this one up. I did want to kind of try to side by side. Ironically, Night Models mm-hmm. is also bringing a skirmish level Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire. I'm not sure which angle. Game of Thrones. They're calling it Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I I don't know which one I want to go with. So I, I need to look at both. Yeah. I do find it interesting that this is only a two-week Kickstarter game, uh-huh. game found. I guess we need to call it what it is. But it looks really cool. What I thought was very fascinating is that because it is meant to be down to individual battles. You can see on the dragon that the towers that exist within it actually have playable game space where you are meant to be with another model having fights. One-offs. So, yeah, I, I think that's kind of cool. So I think there is different interesting elements to it. I need to watch the playthroughs. But, I mean, from a scenery standpoint, that's pretty badass. That's pretty cool. It, Look at that. I mean, yeah. Come on. Does it, I, uh, I can't it, wait to see how you paint it up, Don. Well, we'll get there someday. <laughs> yeah. It's called commission painting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very cool. Jazz needs to, to trip yeah. over, right? Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I paint with dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's some so dollars. That looks pretty cool. I'm very tempted. It would probably be cheaper than a whole set of or Probably. Watch the reviews and buy both. 
<laughs> You're not helping Fabian. Not helping at all. Night Model makes really good stuff. They do. They're Harry Potter. And that yeah. and that's kind of where and, uh, I'm at did, with. I don't know which way I want to go because did, uh, I know what those Batman, models look right? like. So didn't but didn't they a, do, do Batman models as well? Yes, yes they yeah. do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's pretty sharp. So All I right. have to ask back to back to what you were just showing. Uh-huh. Does uh, Baratheon <clears throat> does uh, this is skirmish? Does it come with a warthog? I do not know. I didn't see one, but not sure. That's what killed him in the end. Mm-hmm. All right. I was next... ask... Go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. Um, what I was going to ask is, on a more serious note, I'd be interested in seeing some of those playthroughs. Yeah. I, under- I understand that it's a, they always say that, you know, fantasy is basically medieval or ancients with better special effects. However, with, I mean, I've seen the show. I, you know, we all know how powerful those dragons are, especially in the, in the, later seasons of that of that show those dragons look pretty big i understand it's a skirmish game i want to see how they include units that powerful in the skirmish game mm-hmm. i mean it's great playing like in force on force it's great playing a skirmish game until someone brings an abrams on the table right and then it's like okay how many insurgents do you need to balance the game against the abrams right in a skirmish game how many times to get to bring in an a10 or something right. like that it's just kind of the same thing mm-hmm. i mean with a unit that powerful how big does the opposing force have to be because i'm assuming if we're going by the setting as presented in those novels or in the television show only one side has units that powerful yeah yeah so in the end do you know if that dragon's actually playable or is it just a decoration I, piece i don't know it i think i think it may just be there for show that um, might be the answer but, to my question but and I mean, to your point jim i would hope that if that is in fact the case since the game isn't set up you know they're not touting both sides get a dragon or anything like that that if it has a play in it maybe it would be like a timed effect to help keep you on task and escalate the pace of what it is that you're supposed to be accomplishing, you know, so that you get into the fights that you're supposed to before something bad happens with that. But one of the, one of the few things I liked about that series was that they actually had some detail in the campaign, you know, Robert in the North actually gave you some of his numbers and they give you an idea about how big some of those battles are. And there's only at the most three dragons later two, later one, at least in the canon battles. And yeah, I mean, yeah, could be Dennis. One, one army, two armies. Uh, sorry, one dragon, two dragons. Meanwhile, you know, someone's got 20,000 people. Okay, that's great. That's just not a skirmish game at that point. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's yeah, that'd be interesting to say. To me, it seems more of a board gamey game. Kind of. Versus an actual, like, miniatures skirmish war game, you know? But we'll see. We'll see. Do All I right. Have a 700-foot wall made out of ice. Right. Yeah. There's that, too. <laughs> All right. To a shout out to our friend Ronnie Renton from Mantic Games. He's got a Kickstarter coming up on Wednesday, the 14th. It is his answer to Games Workshops Legion Imperialis. And we are now talking Epic Warpath. Again, cool. it's yes. So there's not much information because it won't show until the launch, but you can't watch a playthrough video or something from Mantic HQ. But if you're into sci-fi epic scale, this might be something you want to look at. Damn it. Uh, this is part that, of my enough is enough. <laughs> make, make, make that one more shelving unit, Don. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Link it on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. 
So, you, you know, the, the, the interesting thing, and this is how I tie it into historicals. So not so much probably this game, but like Jim's point to Song of Ice and Fire, some of these fantasy battles, even the old world from GW, rank and file games. You can translate some of those rank and file games to like Napoleonic saying, you know, it's rank and file, right? You can go back. We were talking in the last show about ECW, War of Roses, all that stuff. All that stuff was rank and file. It wasn't modern warfare where, you know, you're doing cover and, you know, weapons and blah, blah, blah. So it translates from historical rank and file to fantasy rank and file with just weird stuff, right? Magic and yeah. weird it's, weapons. I like it. this. This is the weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Jim said, uh, you know, it's uh, Jesse. It, it, yeah, it's medieval with better effects. Right, as Jim said. So, you, you know, back in the day when we were anyway, yeah, we've done some writing, you know, not just historical but also fantasy, and to, to even push the point a little bit further, you can take a lot of what you see on a fantasy battlefield and even bring it into 20th century combat or even modern combat because a battlefield is a battlefield. And at the end of the day, the commanders of said battlefield are trying to solve a lot of the same problems, how to apply, you know, direct firepower in a highly mobile way Mm -hmm. onto a certain, you know, point target. Okay. I have, you know, you, you have dragons. I have Apaches and warthogs. I have a mass teleport spell that takes a brigade of my lancers. Poof, they're now behind the enemy line. Okay, I have a teleport spell. You have, you know, uh, a squadron of Hueys. At the end of the day, you're trying to do the same thing. Meanwhile, yeah. you know, the enemy's trying to do something to you. You have some sort of counter magic or dispel magic or, or sort of ma- a magical protection spell. That's your electronic warfare. Yeah. Especially as you continue to click up as far as like the size of the battle, maybe not in skirmish, but in yeah. like the larger set battles. Yeah. Outside of the linear tactics that you mentioned that would correspond to, you know, ECW, Napoleonics, even maybe as late as a, as a maybe even a American Civil War. Because. Mm-hmm. What sets American Civil War apart from those, you know, Napoleonics, I mean, a lot of the tactical combat, especially in the earlier war, was distressingly similar. Hence, we see the huge casualty numbers. But what sets that war apart is the railroad and the telegraph. And in fantasy settings, armies move around a lot faster than they should. Mm -hmm. Hence, fantasy. And uh, even more so, battlefield communications is a lot faster. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, telepathy, you know, all all the stuff that sounds... I don't want to say silly, but all, all of the fantasy elements do actually have pretty strong modern or, or even like World War II, one World War II parallels. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I have one last item, and this is a Kickstarter. Go, go figure. Mm-hmm. It's a train printable, printable train that can be used for any genre, historical, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever. And that is called Rugged Hills design i believe right rugged hills design master tiles so you print these tiles oh these yeah we watched a video on it and i backed it managed go figure so now i have to buy a 3d printer but shocker (laughs) (laughs) but you know as you can see you can print up different tiles create a board and they have other tiles so it's not all rockies but i just thought it was a great way to you know put a, a playing surface together for no matter what and then, Jim, I thought about you when I was printing, not printing these, but looking at this. And the, what, the, now that we're kind of expanding a little bit, you know, we're pushing the borders. 
I really want to see some battle tech. Oh, there you go. And I know you really dig the battle tech stuff, you know. It's yeah. I, I have a, a pretty large Battletech force. Yeah. It's been a while since I played. I can tell you, it has a very strong presence at Adepticon. Mm-hmm. I'll put it to you this um, way. Yeah. I mean, especially since we have a lot of European people, European people on our stream today. First of all, thanks very much for coming out. Yes. In 1992, I was part owner of a gaming store. And Battletech, Battletech, some 12, some 15, some 16-hour games. Battletech, Battletech, Battletech. It was 1997 until <laughs> I even heard of Warhammer 40k. And even that was by accident. My dad mm-hmm. was in Scotland on vacation and he wandered into a GW store, not knowing what he mm-hmm. was getting into. And he got uh-huh. that Warhammer 40k cell that you get. <laughs> they pretty much threw a bag over his head. They hit him with a baseball bat and he found himself in a trunk of a car. Cricket bat. Cricket bat. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, not that 40k is completely plagiarized, but it's pretty much completely plagiarized. He <laughs> thought it was Renegade. He thought it was Renegade Legions, um, which was a, a, a relatively popular game over there. The point is, I mean, I'm not going to say that 40k doesn't have a huge presence in the United States, but it's always, especially back in the 80s and 90s, it was BattleTech. Mm-hmm. And conversely, if you t- if you try to go to Asia, you try to go to South Korea, Japan, nobody's freaking heard of Battletech. Everyone's playing Robotech. Yep. And then, you know, you come back to Europe and it's all about, you know, especially in those states, it's all about 40K again. The one difference being that FASA didn't really make it through the 90s because of all kinds of legal problems. And GW did. So, you know, 40K was left kind of the last man standing in that regard. But absolutely, back in the day, Battletech was... Absolutely huge. And it still is. I mean, Catalyst Game Labs picked it up. Microsoft bought all the video game licenses. That's another problem with Battletech right now is the licensing is all over the place. Mm -hmm. We did a a cool uh, article series about it uh, back in the day. We even interviewed, or I even interviewed their director of marketing. So I think it was director of marketing. Marketing or or, uh, product development. Yeah, I mean, Battletech's not going anywhere anytime soon. And and, and the to you know, kind of caveat off of what Bill said about the bottom at Adepticon, it was crazy last year. The amount of people, first of all, they had a, a release and they were, one, some dudes were picking up orders there. But yep. everywhere you looked, Catalyst Game Lab bags. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere yep. you look, they, they have a 40-foot inflatable out front. <laughs> well, at, at some of the cons, I don't know if you ever see one of these, I don't think it's maybe a Gen Con, they have the Battletech simulator. Yes, yep. and they it's are like cool. The, it's like the size it's a pod. of this office. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you sit inside of it and you power the Mac. Yeah, you don't have one of those. Bits, do no, <laughs> there you go. Right. Oh. It's I mean, for people who, who who don't live in the U.S. or haven't been to the U.S. It's it's almost like 40k here. It's absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, in some ways, the game has been kind of a victim of its own success. Uh, especially back in the Faza days, so many source books came out. There's the the the, the there's over 700 novels wow. just for BattleTech, and yeah, it's absolutely huge. And then you get into the you get into the rules permutations, and a lot of the people who that almost gets into how much is too much. A lot of the people who are really into BattleTech are really into BattleTech from the glory days of the 80s and 90s. Wow. Mm-hmm. And what winds up happening is. They still use a lot of those old rules. A lot of those old rules include rules for updating and modifying your own mechs. You rip out certain parts, you put in new parts, and then you have to balance up the points and repoint your mech. And the paperwork gets friggin' crazy. Mm-hmm. This is me talking. 
<laughs> the paperwork gets out of control and then somebody new comes into it and unfortunately one of the smart things Catalyst Game Labs has done is they've come out with uh, simplified rules like Alpha Strike and stuff yep. like that yep. where you can kind of dip your toe into the Battletech world and not immediately just sink to the bottom of the Marianas Trench which is what <laughs> Battletech kind of can be get can, yeah. can become very very sure very very quickly like i said the only thing that kept our crappy gaming store afloat was battletech and vampire the masquerade some of those games would last you know literally 12 hours and all we would do is go down to walmart buy those big 24 trays of uh sam's choice cola and like <laughs> the big trays of uh, like like fritos and doritos and shit uh-huh. and 25 in those days 25 cents a can 25 cents a bag and Again, this is 30 years ago, and sell everything for 50 cents. And at the end of the day, we, we that was the only thing that kept us open because yeah. we didn't make much money on anything else in those days. But, yeah. yeah, it was, it, it's, it's an insane game. It's a great game. And I mean, like Jim said, you can play Alpha Strike rules, which are the fast entry rules. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Alpha, it'd be Battletech Light, is what I would call it. And then if you really are, you know, one of those guys who likes to get into the nitty gritty, I mean, you got, if you look at the sheets, you got heat shields and, you know, you got points. Yeah. I mean, it rivals squad leader in some aspects. So so there's, there's almost like three levels. You you, you play alpha strike, alpha strike, you get like a three by five card and the whole game is like four numbers and yeah. You're done. That's great. And then there's actual like Catalyst Game Lab came out with a new book, a new starter box. You get 25 little mechs in the starter box. And, you know, you, you can play it. It's the full rules, but it's, it's like the beginning full rules. Mm-hmm. And even that is is a little interesting. They got rules for, you know, you rip off an enemy's like a big metal mech. You rip off his leg and or you rip off his arm. And it says a little paragraph in the rules. Oh, by the way, that can be used as a club now. Yeah, you can beat them over the head with their own arm. With, with their own arm. I mean, it's an insane game. And then there's the real deep dive when you get into the old school grognards who... I mean, I did it a little by uh, Clan Ghost Bear, Clan, Clan, Clan Ghost Bear for Life, to mm-hmm. answer Fabian's earlier game, or earlier question about when I like to play. Yes, I'm one of those annoying clan players that Intersphere players actually hate, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, my whole army is based, or my whole like 10,000 point force is basically three Timberwolves or Madcats or whatever you want to do. And I pulled out some of the secondary weapons and I just put in additional heat sinks mm. so I can fire my PPC all day long. Oh, yeah. And oh, people hate that shit. That's like, <laughs> it's, it's the equivalent of the bolt action player who's like, oh, I want to play bolt action. I want to learn about World War II. My whole army is three key tigers. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm that guy in Battletech. They're the, the more serious players in Battletech stick to the inner sphere because they want more realistic armies that are well balanced and basically mm-hmm. like us in World War II. And then along comes, you know, Gorisky Jim with his, you know, you're there to his, do his, some his, crazy shit. It's <laughs> three jacked up, you know, mad cats. And it's like, yeah. okay, I win again. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's no fun yeah. playing with you. But anyway. Classic. Classic. Rambled enough. So, I haven't finished with you yet there, Sir Jim. <laughs> Uh-oh. As like we push the border. So, we talked about Battletech. There is another sci-fi game that we really should see more meat and potatoes from. It's called Dark Star. Oh Lord, you're opening that can of <laughs> That's that's a pit that you can sink into. There are a lot of people, if you look at our Discord and stuff, that love playing Dark Star. And you know, they have been asking for some Dark Star. I have yet to play Dark Star. I watch you guys play it. It seems great. I want a fleet. 
I want to play. Okay. <laughs> Start one up. It's 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 one of those games. So uh, for people who may not be familiar, Dark Star is a tactical starship game that really harkens back to the old 80s days. It does draw heavily from things like Starfleet Battles, FASA Starship Tactical Combat Simulator, old Renegade Legion games by FASA called Leviathan, although don't judge it by that. Leviathan was not the best game in that series. <laughs> At Gen Sun, Dark Star kicks ass. Yeah, the thing, the thing, uh, now you can sit down uh, there's tough years. Tough years has has a Walmart fleet out there. <laughs> it's a long story. Yeah. There's ten basic factions. It's basically World War II in space. It's uh, that's a very general reductive way to put it. But it's. I'm just looking at the, at the, uh, the comments. Sorry, it's. <laughs> excuse me. Still got this cough. It's basically. 1900 to 1950 in space there are 10 basic factions and the factions are uh, to use like a to go back to battletech it kind of uses the battletech model there are no mm. aliens okay you're not going to run across vulcans klingons because the odds of actually finding anybody out there are next to nothing let's be real and the odds of finding somebody even if you did find somebody of a, any kind of similar tech level are just infinitesimally small so it's the Earth has more or less collapsed environmentally because you have to have a reason why Germany and Russia fight at Cy Serpentis instead of in Poland like they always do. So the Earth has pretty much collapsed, and now there's no more resources on Earth. So everyone has to go out into the stars to gather the resources they need to rebuild what's left of the human race. That's when you get into all these little skirmish battles. Meanwhile, like I said, Earth is kind of struggling through a several centuries-long recovery. Mm-hmm. So no one can really come to the mat and really like have like an all out world war five, you know, out there in the rings of Saturn for no reason. Yeah. There's plenty of space. There's plenty of resources. There's more water, more fresh water on some asteroids than there are in all the oceans of earth put together. So there's no reason to really, yeah. The, the point is before I go off on another huge ramble is unlike a lot of space games, star Wars, star Trek, space battleship, your model, pretty much any war game that you have that takes place out in space. Yeah. Has one fundamental flaw. It was a movie first or a comic book first mm-hmm. or a anime first or a manga first or who knows what, a TV series first. And the show or movie or whatever, the other media is going to have established certain rules that make it fun for a TV show or a movie or whatever. Okay, then great. Now the game designer has to sort of convert that into game mechanics and it almost never works. Transporter, transporters will ruin most Star Trek games if you actually pay attention to how transporters work. Jedi will ruin most Star Wars games uh, if you really pay attention to how they work and what they can actually do. The wave motion gun will ruin any space battleship Yamato game. Dark Star was built as a game first, and the universe was built to facilitate exactly the kind of, all the way back to the 500 years in the, his, in the history of the, of, the, of the world, why there's not AI, why everything's not fought via drone. Why, you know, the ships aren't just, you know, artificially intelligent because nobody wants to play a robot. You want to play a captain standing on the deck of a ship, ordering broadsides into enemy mm-hmm. groups. Why the, the space battles take place over and over again. There's no geography out there. There's no neutral zone. The Klingon empire is here. The Federation is here. There's none of that nonsense because we want any faction to be able to play any other faction. And what makes Dark Star, the, the thing, what makes it a pit into which you will literally spend the next year of your life, uh, if you're not careful, is the game has sort of a uh, advanced system. 
So it's not a role-playing game by any means, but you do earn points when you play the same ships and commanders mm-hmm. over and over again. And before you know it, you can start buying upgrades. You get promotions. You can actually track your guy's career. You start off usually as a lieutenant commander in command of a frigate. Commander, you pick up a destroyer. Captain, you pick up a light cruiser or a heavy cruiser, and then you go up from there. Pretty soon you're commanding fleets. And, yeah, people will get into it. And then you lose one of these kick-ass commanders and, and people will get pissed all of a sudden. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working on that guy for six months, nine months, 12 months. And all of a sudden, you know, you start having like these battles and gas giant atmospheres and you get pulled down into that, you know, Jovian mm-hmm. gravity. There are rules for gravity. There's rules for, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit to get into. And again, it's one of those games where you can start to modify your ship a little bit, check up your point cost, but it's nowhere near as complicated as Battletech. We, we, we avoided that pitfall. Mm-hmm. But anyway, before we, yeah, before we ramble on too much, yeah, like Jen says, more <laughs> importantly, you can improve your ship. You can improve your ship uh, before you can command certain levels of fleets. You have to go back to command school and pick up like task force commander or battle for a uh, battle group commander, fleet commander. Yeah. You basically mm-hmm. start a little, uh, a little cast of characters, a little cast okay. of commanders before you know it. Yeah. You, you almost feel like you're really out there. Very nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe some dark star content. Mm-hmm. Battle tech content. Well, like, we're, gonna, we're gonna need also uh, some additional news, Marty. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we can all or you we can get all, off your net ass and do something. Yeah, there's that, Marty. There well, is that. A couple of uh, small things. Uh, Homeworld three has been postponed again. What's Homeworld? The uh, outer space game, computer game. Pretty good following. The previous home worlds were really well received. Yeah, um, and then D and D this year is at yeah. their fiftieth anniversary. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that'll be this a big be, party at Gen Con this year. You think? Yeah. And yeah. at Gary Con. Yeah, we yeah. were there for what release were we there for? Was it fifth edition? No, it wasn't fifth edition. I remember, but we were at, at Gen Con one year and they had a huge release party. Mm-hmm. So yes. We agree. Chris, you're very hard to hear. We need mm-hmm. a better mi- microphone. Yeah, I'll do one. Okay. Uh, you have a whole box of microphones, you know. Yeah, I know. Okay. All right, let's transition to our topic. It's only been an hour, so let's go ahead and transition. When is enough enough? And what do I mean by that? Is she's had enough of your shenanigans. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we're not talking about that. No. Oh, she's not gonna, she's not this isn't you. marital advice channel. This is Sit Rep Podcast. But it's like every week there's a pre-order for something. I literally just got the Old World bundle. And before that, it was Legion Imperialis. You could see Mantic's coming out with stuff. Game of Thrones is coming out with stuff. You know, Warlord releases stuff almost every week. You know, we haven't talked about Battlefront in a while. I'm not sure what's going on with Battlefront. They haven't seemed to be even releasing a lot of stuff recently. Maybe. No, and I just looked at their site yesterday because I've been doing Adepticon prep work and yeah. nothing jumped off the page at me for like, oh, that's new. We need to look at that. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. They, uh, they haven't had anything in a while now. Mm-hmm. I mean, like since last fall. Does that sound right? Could it, be. Yeah. It's just, I mean, Don was mentioning she was doing Adepticon prep work. And nothing is jumping out of the table like this. Oh, my God, there's going to be this huge release. I mean, obviously, we'll talk to Ronnie about the game I just showed. Epic, Warpath. Warpath. Epic Thank Warpath. you. Wow. <laughs> but, okay, so if for our players, 
Jim, did you want to answer Fabian's question? Um, yeah, real quick, Fabian. Fabian, it's 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 a hex based game. You do need hexes to play it, and the hexes are relatively large. As far as uh, yeah, it's definitely agnostic as far as the models go. Uh, I mean, it's it's a game I just I wrote myself, so it doesn't you know. It, it doesn't. In fact, the ships have very specific values as far as their mass, like they're dis, not displacement because they're not in the water, but how much they weigh. But I never give a length for the ships because once you have a mass and a length, you're now starting to suggest a shape, and we never want to do that. There are also no drawings of the ships because one of the things is we wanted the players to be able to envision them however they wanted. Some people have done 3D prints of their own, and they have a lot of fun, like literally designing their own starships. And, you know, printing them out as far as what they look like. Of course, the values are very specific and the point costs. But as far as the models go, the only rule in the game is that there is a stacking limit. You can only have three ships on a hex. So you can use whatever models you want. And uh, who knows what size hex grid you have. As long as you have where you can, you know, comfortably fit three models in a hex, you're fine. Nice. Very cool. All right. So back to the topic. When is an? I mean, think about it. If you're always chasing the newest and greatest project, when do you get to play with the stuff you have? When do you get to develop your armies? Your, you know, whatever. Really, I mean, you really get to get into the game, or are you just chasing the next new thing? And you know, I know God knows I've fallen victim to it. I have boxes that I have never opened because I, oh, you know. And it's like, oh, that looks like a great game. I want to get into it. You buy the set, and the next thing you know, something else comes out, and you buy that, and then the, that goes pushback. And this came about and because we were watching a video the other night on YouTube. I can't remember her names. She's from Ireland. She talks about mostly GW stuff, and she was talking about their business model. Their business Dis model, model Dis now discourse. is yes. Thank you. Yeah, discourse minis. Yeah. Yes, and you know, and how she's talking about GW just constantly pounds you with pre-order 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 because that's their business model they want to get all that excitement they build up all this excitement they want you to buy this stuff and and they don't maintain you know per se lines so you can develop you, it, they just want you to buy the newest stuff so they can get the cash grab right then you think about the old days i, I know i sound like an old fart the old days of avalon hill Crocknard. yes <laughs> you, you bought a you bought a, a game well, that's, you know, not going to talk about squad leader or advanced squad leader because that's a whole other world in of itself. Panzer leader, Panzer blitz. You bought the game. You bought the game. Yeah, now you have, game. You, you have yeah. the game, right? You could play it. You develop it. And then you have people like Jim who are like, you know what? This can be better. Let me do this. And I remember the general magazine, right? And they would send out supplements once in a while and, you know, things like that. What were you going to say, Jim? Uh, real quick. Yeah, I, I may have told the story before, but I'll make it super fast to talk too much this episode already. But Panzer Leader came out, actually Panzer Blitz came out in 71, and you had 12 scenario cards in the game, and players would sit down. This is the 70s, so it's before the internet and everything else. Mm -hmm. And you would play the 12 scenarios, and then players would write into the general magazine, like lick a stamp on the letter, you know, back in those days, and say, look, I've played all 12 scenario cards and there are still counters I haven't used. There mm -hmm. are units that they came in the box that were never included in any of the 12 scenarios. And the reply back, and it was revolutionary for the time. Again, 
more than 50 years ago now, we want you to make up your own scenarios. You have that same box, which was like 10 bucks in those days. Not only can you play these 12 scenarios, but we want you to be able to make up your own scenarios. There are combinations of the map boards that were never used. There are counters that were never used. You could live on a desert island and technically never run out of games with that one box that you had, you know, way back then. And again, to your point, also, they would continue to support that same game later on with, well, there was Panzer Leader, then there was, you know, uh, Power Leader. They brought in airborne units and showed you how to play with that. Gliders for the Germans, gliders for the Americans, paratroopers for everybody. And yeah, all the kinds of expansions that they came out with later, again, for that same initial box set. Yeah. But to the point, you got to develop the game. You got to play it. You got to feel it. You got to roll through it. And granted, it's it's not an apples apples because it's not a miniatures based game. You know, it was hex encounter game. But then you think about if you move into the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, you had D and D, right? D and D, you had the base set. Then you had the you know, it, depending on which set you went, if you went with basic or A D and D. You know, basic. You had the the red box, the blue box, the black box. I think there was a the old box. the old monster manual, yeah. the the player's guide. But it wasn't like you had. Oh my god, I got to buy this one. I got to buy this one. You know, yes, modules came out, the guides came out, but it wasn't like every week something else was coming out. So you got to develop and play the game and grow with the game, and and you didn't feel the pressure of oh my god, I have to have this and. Do you remember, Jim, Rel Partha miniatures to go yep. with your D&D games? You know, you go to the, the local hobby store and get your Rel Partha miniatures. They're, so they're still, play. I think, technically making, uh, you know, I don't know, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to say something bad. But I'm, I am I thought Rel Partha was, like, Ironwind miniatures was either mm-hmm. part of Rel Partha or vice versa or something okay. like that. I'm not sure, but I, yeah, they still make Battletech stuff. Like, we we're talking about Battletech. Nice. It's like a little barn up in New Hampshire somewhere, but yeah. um, I, th- I think some version of them is still around. Yeah. So so you got to develop D&D. And then Battletech, Robotech, Battletech, Mech Warrior, all, those all started coming out. And you could build your mech armies, right? Where I think the downfall happened is, I hate to use them as the whipping boy, but I'm going to, and that's GW. GW starts coming out with Fantasy. They come out with 40K in the late 80s, early 90s, I think it was. And at first, if you look at the catalogs, you developed your army. And, you know, you got to play with them and, you know, develop your army. And then you would add on units to grow your army. To be fair, we were talking about Battlefront before. Battlefront got to the point where... They were making tanks that were used literally one day, like the crossing of the Rhine. Yeah. And they would still make the miniature for it. And they they tried to give you everything you could to continue to to develop your force, whatever faction you wanted to build and buy. And they only have, to my count, I think still only four editions. They're not coming out with a new edition every two years. Right. They're forcing you to buy new codexes, new rule books, new Yeah. Or uh, you invested a bunch of money into an army, and now a new set of rules came out, and that army is a lot less powerful than it used to be. It's kind of worthless. Uh, or they make you change the, the bases. Yeah, that's <laughs> You know, square base, round base, square base. But, I mean, so I think GW is the one that really started. And then, honestly, Kickstarter, the advent of Kickstarter really accelerated. Oh, my God, I got to get the new shiny thing. I got to get this new release, you know. Because how many people 
Okay, so if you all watch YouTube videos, for those who do, I'm hoping you do because you're watching us, you see those people that present whatever in gaming, and they have a wall of games. We were guilty of it yep. as well. A wall of games behind them. And you sit there and you look and go, how many of those have you really, truly played? And not we bought a lot of stuff just for set decoration, let's be honest, mm -hmm. in our set. So it's just like... At some point, don't you get oversaturated and like, I want to play this game. Like, Chris, you're playing Age of Sigmar, right? You're getting into Age of Sigmar. So, and D&D. I mean, D&D is in of itself. It's it's not a miniatures-based game unless you're 3.5, which sucked. You know, or 4th edition. Was it 4th edition? I think it's fourth. I always use miniatures if you want to. You did, but I think it was 4th edition that was literally skirmish combat. Yeah. That's what it was about. It wasn't about the role-playing aspect. A, a lot of more modern RPGs are getting that way. Yeah. It's like, just play a war game, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Hence why Pathfinder became it, what it is. But, you know, Chris, yeah. with your so ancient Sigmar stuff, thing and what's build that? Build out the nuances of it. Learn the yeah. nuances of the army and doing this one thing. One of the differences, though, is back when it was Panzer Leader, you know, stuff like that, there wasn't that many things out there. So That's the other side of the coin. Correct. Now it's everywhere. Everybody's yeah. got to have their little niche, which is great. Doesn't mean that you have to go down that road. There are some people who never move outside of 40K. Mm -hmm. Right? That's true. I mean, if it wasn't for you, Bill, Dom would just be playing Malifaux and Magic the Gathering, right? <laughs> for the most part. So, I mean, with you guys, I I keep buying fucking armies on games I, I've never played. <laughs> your fault. Jim, is that your game club? Got a Keurig? Yep, looks like it. Creek <laughs> hey. has a Keurig. Uh -huh. Nice. Now the looks old like... gamers won't be so crabby. Oh, you will. Over-caffeinated will be worse. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that. Got Got to play fully caffeinated. Yes. Very cool. So, no, Chris, to your point, you're right. There, there's a lot more choice than there was years ago. And, you know, that's the thing. And to, I think it was tough years. Some people are just collectors. They're not really gamers. They just collect. Mm -hmm. You know, I was guilty of that for a while. I mean, I still have it a little bit. But I am really trying to focus on what I buy, getting on the table, and, you know, wanting to play versus just having boxes sit here. Because... Mm -hmm. To it's be honest, I, I could never, I, I, I could, I mean, given the likely amount of time I have left on this little blue marble, I could literally not buy another war game for the rest of my life. Panzer Blitz, Panzer Leader, Valor and Victory, Force on Force, and Battle Group. I'm fine. Yeah. Don't worst forget about sit rep skirmish. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> barely a war game, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun once in a while. <laughs> but yeah to chris's point it's it, it's it's i mean you sit down and play a game once and like learn like the basic rules and have fun at it but you're you're not gonna get it mm -hmm. as far as like he was talking about the nuances and, and you know things like that you're not gonna get it until you played it 5 10 20 times and only then are you really gonna start at least if it's a good game right i, I think yeah the, we almost need a happy medium yeah back in the 70s there was really one maybe two companies coming out with 
you know, a, a lot of war games. I mean, later on, like Jim Dunnigan stepped off. He started off, I think it was SPI or SSI. Victory Games kind of became an offshoot of Avalon Hill. You got into like some kind of companies, decision games, matrix games, things like that. But there wasn't that many. And nowadays, yeah, I, I almost agree. We almost have too many. And another problem that too many choices gives, not just on a, a single gamer personally, mm -hmm. but if you have like the average number of war gamers is never that high mm -hmm. in a given town. You might have like a hundred war gamers in a, in a decent sized city. If there's a thousand games out there, what chance do you have mathematically of finding someone that plays your game? Right. Correct. You know, Correct. back when there was 10 games in the world, okay, it was a lot easier, but nowadays there's so many games out there. A lot of times people in the club, we don't get into arguments, but there's, you know, brisk discussions about, you know, what, what system we're going to play next. Oh, there's too many systems. You know, everyone gets into Mark's tactical combat. Then I want to bring in battle group and everyone's like, Oh, why aren't we playing tactical combat? Yeah. Or why aren't we playing Panzer leader? Or why aren't, you know, there's like, five different games running around out there and that's you know it, it becomes almost a, a, an issue yeah you know every week you have to learn a new game system because there's even if you don't buy the game and physically uh, and financially invest in it physically store it physically build and paint it you go down to the club and someone else is featuring it you got to learn the freaking rules and yes. then next week it's a different game next week yeah. it's a different game next week it's a different game it gets old quick it does and that's why some of the newer games just die. Yep. You know, because nobody plays it, right? It's like I mean, and like Malifaux, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it still exists. It's still new new things come with it. But to your point, Jim, about finding that pocket of people that also like it and want to play it, like our game store barely has anything or even didn't last time I was there. For Malifaux. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, it's like you either then have to have a group of friends that you know that play that you can get together with to do it, or now you're looking at, like, really just not getting to play it or having to wait till really a long period of times, yeah, to be able to go do it. It it does, that. say what you want, that's, that is the, the case in point with GW, because they have all the game stores that support it have play groups from there or they have their own stores that have play groups from there. It's like there is consistency. If that is a game, you know, whether it be the fantasy or 40 K that you can find those people much easier to play it. So that like they do have that infrastructure set up. Yeah. However, well, however, with GW though, they're on a three year cycle with their games. That is also fair. Yeah. So, you have, so you have to be then, committing to playing a different way and being and, committing to spending a different way. <laughs> yeah. And so they're, they, and sometimes it's not a matter of introducing new models. They just, they just rewrite the rules and they nerf somebody and buff somebody else. And, Oh, by the way, if you want to play this, you're going to need to buy the core rules yeah i yeah. need to buy the book for your army and if yeah, you want to know sure. anybody else's army you're gonna... and rebase everything you already own <laughs> or, yeah yeah, I yeah. Mean, you know so you know even if even if you're just in one game system there it changes on a on a regular basis mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. with their model and you know with their business model so you know you, you gotta you gotta keep up with the times or then Back to what we were just saying about your playgroup, you got to find somebody that's well. You know, I'm I'm not going to play tenth edition. I'm only going to play eighth edition because ninth right. suck or whatever. The army that I spent twelve hundred dollars on 
and that's kind of a low ball number suddenly isn't worth, you know, right. Just on the table anymore yep. because yep. they rewrote the rules and yeah, now I'm getting yeah. I, the people are wiping the floor with me in every, every tournament or game I go to. Well, that happened with the Tau. to Fabian's point, you know, GW has Tau for people that like nice and aesthetics. I agree. I love the Tau just by the look of them. I have no idea how they play, but I know that they were not good in close combat they were a ranged army, but then they buffed them, and now they're bringing back the Croots, Brother yep. Lloyd. So every, as to Marty's point, every reiteration of the you know updated rules or changed rules, they say, hey, you're too powerful. We're going to knock you down. You're not powerful enough. We're going to bring you up. And then the guy's like, dude, I just spent all this money to do this to make my game, you know, I can play against others yep. to be competitive. Now you've just, you know. But that's the GW model. Then they're like, ah, now you have to buy this. Well, it's not always the GW model. You know, through playtesting and stuff, they see, oh, there's a certain way people are gaming the system. And yeah. they're doing this with that. And, you know, make it more even. So, yeah. Worth it. so well, or- Dennis, I, I couldn't agree with you more. He said he, he leans heavily on solo rules. Yeah. And, it's, but, and it is interesting because I have found, I have started looking at things through that lens more often, even with some of the goofy little board game things that I do, it's like, it is immediately more interesting to me if I know I have that option because I know I will be able to use it more often because I have a handful of games that are like my favorites that are go-tos that you, a lot of them can't even play with two players, you know? So like just Bill and I can't even play it by ourselves. You have to wait until you have three or more people to be able to play. So it it makes a big difference what you can spend your time on. Yeah, it's true. Dean, good point about, because I don't know if people know, but GW is owned by a, what do you call those companies? The you? No, they just, they're just a financial company. They're uh, venture capitalists or yeah, something. Venture yeah, venture capitalist group. And so that's where the model comes from is venture capital, you know, because the, the founders of GW sold out years ago. And so, and then in the mid nineties, 40 K, you know, kind of fell out of favor for a while. So <laughs> apparently they still are. Yeah. To <laughs> tough <laughs> years. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what to, who was that? Dennis, Dennis, I would love to do a show about solo games. We should do that because we have what? Battle space. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, and can't you do in country solo as well? Yes, my Walking Dead All Out War. You can play solo. There yes. you go. But we should do a show about solo. Um, it's just, there are um, some games that are specifically designed for it. Yeah, we should. Let's let well, you know what. Let there's our theme for next show. There you go. So, we'll we'll talk about uh, solo war gaming for those who. We have a lot of people that live where they don't have access to gaming clubs or game stores, and or gaming partners, so they do solo. We should talk about so, that. Yeah, like Vince Venturella and Adam Loper, Uncle Adam, have uh, their own little game company, Snarling Badger Games, and I think they've got three games out. It might be four. I might have, yeah. But all of their game systems have a solo option. Yep. That yeah. That is something they specifically built into. After they released their first game, you know, they, they saw that there was a demand for solo options, so they wrote a, a supplement for their first game for solo, and all the other games basically have solo options in them already mm-hmm. built into the rules so you can play them solo you know like uh like battle space <laughs> you can play co-op nailed it tuffy yes <laughs> we're gonna have to watch the video for that I mean, <laughs> can we get a 
rated R. Yeah. Community strike waiting to happen. That won't be monetized. I should say we may not be monetized on that one. Yep, and then oh uh, yeah, no, I, I think Battle Gary. Space has a new has a physical version. Um, yep. If you picked them up, and that's gonna that's go- the we need to get Robert on to talk about because it it's releasing soon. The the physical I bought the pre order, so I have the P- PDFs, but the physical yep. set I'm waiting on. But it doesn't come with minis. I thought we were gonna get a whole starter set with minis, but oh well. So, Man. but we should get him on the show. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. One last point when it comes yes, to whether I'm going to play a game or not, you know, to keep it from getting too much and be able to find players, is there a way to virtualize it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I got players all over the, all over the globe, but sometimes you have to reach that far. You know, how many people want to play, sit down and play a, a six hour game of Panzer Leader? Sometimes I got to go to the UK. I got to go to Australia, mm-hmm. and yeah. Canada, God knows where else. And yeah, sometimes it's tough. Yeah. I mean, that's. If you can make, make the world your gaming club, you improve your odds. Most definitely. Yeah. And if you have an easy, accessible digital version, I mean, you've done it with Hex Encounter games. You've done it with miniature based games. Just having that makes it work so much better. Well, like D20 and some of that stuff, too. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Although, to, to Fabian's point, yeah, I thought it'd be a hard step, but turns out we all have many. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. Not wrong. Yeah. That's my experience. Yeah, it's one of the great things about about historical wargaming in general. Yeah, if you have a 50 millimeter miniature, you've got a 50 millimeter Sherman. You've got a 50 millimeter Sherman. That's right. It's not no. like you know an ultramarine. You can't play that in BattleTech. You know, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. Well, it depends on your crew. I mean, if you can proxy in a Sherman for something, or not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, if you're in a friendly game, game, you can say, "Hey, I take that to a." <laughs> Yeah. All right. Marty, one of the things about you is you you just like painting the mini, so even yeah, if you're not true. I, I lean much more into the hobby side of things than uh the actual gaming side. Although yeah. I, you know, that's part of the reason why I, I I like solo games is that you know I don't have to rely on being able to have somebody else that's available when I'm available. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so I can I can run my own games. That's how I got into Battle Space. And uh, um, Robert, I'm telling you, that that guy totally. He uh, exactly told me this, you know. Yeah, he he totally nailed the timing unintentionally because he released his game in March of 2020. Yeah, <laughs> everybody yeah. get locked down. <laughs> yep. I'm like, oh, you know, and it was. I don't know. It was like twelve bucks for the PDF rules on uh, Gamers Vault. I'm like, oh, I smell oh, a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out he's actually a bioweapons expert. <laughs> All right. Well, keep those thoughts. We'll pick up on the next yeah. show about solo war gaming. So, if everybody can come back with one game that they really enjoy, you know, or is good for solo war gaming, obviously Marty has Battle Space. So, mm-hmm. but there are others. I actually have one in mind. And it involves Rourke's trip. <laughs> Shocker. Mm. <sighs> oh, I love that game. He's, mm. Turns out he's going to play all 4,000 uh, yes. uh, Zulu. <laughs> going to have him by name, Individually too. by himself. Would it shock anybody that I just watched Zulu again the other night? No. We did. We just passed the anniversary. Yeah. Yep. So. We're not going to do it on set. Um, you know, I'm okay yeah, that would be awesome. I'm still trying to convince Don to spend a, a week in South Africa, you know, at this really nice 
little resort that overlooks the battlefield. It, it, Island Wanda. <laughs> or we could just go stay at like Kadani Village in Orlando and Whatever. set your game up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right, kids. We're going to go ahead and uh, close out the show to everybody that's been with us. Thank you so much. The comments have been exploding. You guys are awesome. We appreciate it. Please spread the word. Spread the love. Uh, we are growing. About us. Yeah, we thank you all. Zulu Dawn. You didn't like Zulu Dawn? I like Zulu Dawn. I thought it was a good movie. It's a Hollywood movie, but so is Zulu. But, you know, good, good movies all around. But thank you very much. Make sure you watch Jim's next video on Anzio. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Up. Yeah. And then next week, I'll be taking the reins uh, for a video as Jim works on other projects. And yeah, we'll go from there. And if you guys are in the States, or even if you're not, and you're coming to Adepticon this year, we would love to meet you. Yes. We will have some giveaways. And we're probably going to have a little meetup at our, we're going to have a table, a booth, if you will, at Adepticon in the historical gaming hall. So after. I don't know. After we close down the production for the night, we'll probably have a get together where there'll be some good luck, Tuffy. Adult beverages and maybe some good old Chicago pizza and whatnots. And we'd love to see you. We'll be hanging out, mm-hmm. having a good time. So, if you guys are uh, coming to Adeptcon, please let us know, and we will plan on that. And if you don't, we'll still drink and eat anyways. So, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. All right, kids. Thank you very much. Have a happy week. We'll see you in two weeks. And make sure you check out the videos. Until the next time, we mm-hmm. appreciate you. And thanks very much. Take care. You have been listening to the Citrep Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, <laughs> Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast, and don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening.